Happy Wednesday to you. It's 3.36, October the 27th. British Columbia's Auditor General says he has a decade-long difference of opinion with the government over calculating the province's financial bottom line that now adds up to $6 billion with a B. Michael Pickup said the concern relates to the way BC reports money it receives from other levels of government for capital projects such as roads and bridges, and it's now into its 10th year. He says, quote, this means in simple terms, we disagree with the government's presentation of its financial accounting to the tune of $6 billion. Pickup saying that figure has accumulated since 2011-12 when his office first raised the issue with the government. So the $6 billion figure over a 10-year period, if you break that down to an annual figure, $600 million a year. That is no small pot of money that we are talking about here. So for a little reaction, pleased to be joined by Chris Sims with the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Chris, how are you here this afternoon? Doing well. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, appreciate you taking some time. I mean, just the first thing that I thought of when I saw this, without even really delving into the details, was $6 billion? How can there be that huge of a discrepancy between the Auditor General and what the government is presenting? I mean, that just that figure is just so astronomical to me. It is, uh, and that's a darn good question. That's a lot of money. And so according to the Auditor General, this dispute goes back to the budget year of 2011-2012, and he's very careful to point out that he doesn't think that the money is being misspent. So there mm-hmm. isn't, in his opinion, some magical black hole that this money is accidentally or on purpose being funneled to. No. What he's saying is that he disagrees with the way they're presenting both their revenues and their expenditures when it comes to the transfers between governments. And so that sounds like, they're going to have to dig deeper into this, when they receive money uh, from different levels of government, uh, from different crown corporations, maybe when they pay it back and forth for things such as, like you said, roads and bridges. So infrastructure, big ticket items. And what's interesting about that is that that goes on to capital spending. So in the budget uh, before the bad stuff hit, before COVID, Mm -hmm. we always had to make sure that our budgets were balanced because we have balanced budget legislation in BC. That means if you don't balance the operating budget, that the ministers responsible actually take a pay cut. It's quite innovative. So that's their job. But the funny thing about their accounting is that they separate operating budget from capital budget. Capital budget is typically where they're paying for the big bling, so stuff like roads and bridges. Mm-hmm. I find it interesting that that is where the Auditor General is saying, hey, uh, we disagree with how you're presenting this stuff, but I, I think it's important to do a bit of a deeper dive on this, so it'll be interesting to see what the Auditor General has to say in subsequent interviews. Like, can he give really specific examples of where he thinks that they're not presenting the numbers properly? And out of all of this, I think this highlights the vital importance of things such as auditor generals, auditors general. It's super important to have an arm's length, nonpartisan, completely, you know, sober second look type of a person that looks over our spending and our books. It's essential to hold governments to account. Well, I found it also a little bit peculiar, and I don't think this was necessarily coincidental, that uh, when Michael Pickup was giving his presentation yesterday and taking questions from the media, it was at the exact same time that Dr. Bonnie Henry and Adrian Dix were ra- uh, laying out this whole third dose plan. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, the media attention, we're talking COVID-19, it's the biggest news story in the world right now. That is where people's focus was. So I'm not surprised that most of the attention was taken away from what the Auditor General was presenting, but I still have a little bit of concern with the fact that they basically tried to, I don't want to say cover anything up, but definitely took attention away from what uh, Michael Pickup was trying to say. 
Yeah, they, they tried to outplay it for sure. It's kind of like rolling up in your pickup and blasting ACDC at top notch when somebody's trying to have a violin solo. Right. Right. And that means the violin solo is still very important and people need to pay attention to it. It's really one of the old comms tricks in the book. So yeah. if you've got bad news to put out, put it out on a Friday afternoon with the recycling. That's standard. Um, in this case, I actually, I usually, I don't know if you've ever watched Trailer Park Boys, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't know if you remember when they put the fried chicken out on the counter and it was supposed to be distracted action chicken for Ricky so they could do what they wanted to do outside. Yeah, yesterday's timing of their announcement was definitely distraction chicken. I like that analogy <laughs> for sure. Um, I mean, how, how bothersome is it though when we're talking about 10 years? I mean, this doesn't sound like, uh, based on the comments I was hearing from the Auditor General, this isn't like a new issue. It's just something that is almost being reiterated here and now has a little bit more data to go back on based on this uh, latest report. Uh, but it sounds like this has been an ongoing issue for some time. Yeah, you nailed it. And that's what's important here is that if you go back to 2011-2012, that was a previous government. So the B.C. Liberals were in power then. And so I think that's important to point out that this Auditor General is saying, hey, 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 he's been knocking on the door, pointing this out, what he sees to be a discrepancy or a problem for years now and across party lines. And so that's where you start really wondering, well, what are you guys doing about this problem and why can't you resolve this difference? And that's where I think it's important now for the finance minister to get together with her department So the folks that aren't elected, the bureaucrats that work within the finance department, the smart folks, and say, why is this still the case? Like, why is this an ongoing issue? It needs to be sorted out. Because it sounds as if this is a disagreement between their accounting and his accounting. It's not even necessarily political. It's it's the machinery. Mm -hmm. It's where the beans are counted. And that they do need to straighten out. One thing, too, that this, when I see reports such as this one, and, and I've been harping a lot over the last week or so about mm-hmm. the whole proposed changes to freedom of information, uh, you know, when we're talking about things like this and this huge discrepancy, when we look at the FOI process being changed and possibly changed for the worse, if you ask most people, there's going to be some difficulty in trying to really wrap your head around the discrepancy that we're talking about if I can't go back and easily access that information. That's right. And this, you've really hit the nail on the head there because if we don't have the proper tools to find this information, which should frankly be already proactively disclosed, like we shouldn't even need to be asking for most of this stuff. Mm -hmm. It should be already available, posted on the internet. It's our money. This is our government. It's supposed to be an open government. Um, It should all be freely available already. We shouldn't even ask for it. But they're going a way step further here. They're saying if you want a freedom of information request to be put in now, it's going to automatically be 25 bucks. That's an enormous amount of money. And to be clear, if you send in a really complicated FOI, like I want a year's worth of data with this exact wording, and I want just I want the drafts, I want the agendas, I want the emails, if you get really complicated, they are currently with no changes, allowed to come back to you to say, hey, this is going to take a lot of people power to do this. Can you pay this fee in order to cover those costs? That could be fair, right? Mm-hmm. That's the case right now. So there's no need for them to be putting up this automatic paywall, this automatic barrier to information that's ours to know. And they shouldn't be chilling uh, investigative journalists. So if you want to make an FOI on behalf of your job there at NL, you should be able to do so. If the folks at the breaker want to break news, um, and they named them specifically, by the way, saying that, you know, it's an irritant because they file so many FOIs, mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a problem. 
a government that wants to run away from investigative reporters, that's a, that's a problem. Yeah. And so they really need to climb down off this quickly. Well, and I keep trying to stress to those listening, too, that this is not just a journalism issue, right? Freedom of information is something that... Uh, people need in all walks of life, you know, whether yep. you're, you're talking about lawyers or whatever. I mean, there's so many instances where FOI becomes a necessary tool. And so this isn't just like a hindrance on reporting. This, this goes far beyond that. And I, I don't know if everyone necessarily grasped that, but I think it's important to continue to point that out. And it's important to be a really free and open democracy, to have our citizens be knowledgeable and to be deputized in a sense, to take ownership of that ability and to be able to say, hey, government, let me know what you spent on this. Give me your expenses to this hospitality suite. Um, let me know who you hired and what their contract is because I'm paying for it. Like, you have a right. Every person listening right now has a right to request that of a minister or an MLA, and they should be able to do it through email by filling out a form. Mm -hmm. And now they're trying to say every time you ask for one thing, it's going to be $25. And keep in mind, when you fill out a proper Freedom Information Request form, it's supposed to be one document at a time. So you can't go in there with one request and say, I want everything pertaining to, you know, Acme, you know, Coyote mm -hmm. missiles. You need, you need the dates, and then you need emails, and then you need contracts, and then you need invoices. Every one of those on that list I'm ticking off would be $25, the way they've explained it now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's yep. definitely a, a concern, and uh, I don't think we're going to see that process stop, unfortunately, especially after it really flew through second reading there on, uh, uh, I think it was yesterday, actually. So uh, it, it's definitely moving through the, the channels to, to get it done. Uh, I have a, a lot of issue with that, but it sounds like it's an imminent change that's going to well, be on the horizon. we're fighting it. They have to back off on this. If they don't back off on this, like, we will start, you know, protesting on, on the legislature lawn. Like, they have to back off. Okay. This is not okay. Well, yeah. I, I appreciate you letting me know that so we can talk more <laughs> about this as time rolls on. That's for sure. We will. All right. Uh, just while I have you here, uh, we're, we're coming up on the clock here, but I figure we should touch on the carbon tax briefly, briefly here because on Monday, BC releasing its uh, emissions data showing emissions have actually gone up 10% since 2015. Um, and, and of course, Horgan at the same time coming out and saying he's going to comply with Justin Trudeau's, the prime minister's plan to increase the carbon tax, $170 per ton by 2030. Um, clearly... You know, obviously, I understand from a, a taxpayer's concern uh, that we're paying for money or paying for this, this carbon tax that clearly isn't having the desired effect of reducing our emissions. Uh, so just from a, a Canadian Taxpayer Federation point of view, uh, what is the, the, the major, I guess, uh, point that you want people to take away when looking at the fact that this carbon tax is going to go up, but not really doing anything to actually protect our environment? that this is the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Uh, ever, you know, we've had the highest carbon tax in North America since 2008. And when they first launched it, they said it was going to be revenue neutral, it was going to stop at $30 a ton, and it was going to reduce emissions, and that it was going to somehow fund an, a bunch of alternative energies that were going to be affordable for us to pick from. None of that is true. It's way more than $30 a ton. It was revenue neutral in name only for years before they finally dropped that label, and it's not working. Like, emissions are going up, not down. And folks can barely afford day-to-day -day living now in B.C. It's one of the most expensive places to live in North America. And so they're just going to keep nuking people for driving their minivan, and it's going to go up to $170 a ton within the next nine years. To give you an idea, the two carbon taxes combined in BC, that's going to be about 51 cents a liter just in the carbon taxes. So mm -hmm. you do the math, you fill up your average minivan, that's almost 40 bucks 
just in the carbon taxes every time you fill up. Yeah, it's crazy when you put it in those terms and something, of course, that's a lot of people in this province are going to have to do. You I mean, you have to drive, right? So they're filling up their tank. There's nothing you can do about it. I guess just last point on this. I mean, uh, would you be bluntly opposed to the to the carbon tax? I mean, we're talking about the Taxpayers Federation here, which you represent. And, and, you know, like anytime we see a new tax come into play, obviously there's going to be some concern. We don't want to see prices going up. But like if this was actually having the desired effect, I guess, would there be a quite as big as think about it? But I, I'm just curious to get the overall thought on, on just like if, if it was to work, maybe you'd have a bit of a difference of opinion. It's just clearly not working. Well, it is not working. And so our mandate is clear. It's lower taxes, less waste, and more accountable government. Uh, but I'll put it this way. It really adds insult to injury when it's not working. Like, not only is it bad, not only does it, like, cost people money just to heat their homes and eat and cook and drive to work, it's not working on top of all of that. And so it's super infuriating. And when people say, well, what would you do? Well, how about we tackle the big side of the arithmetic? People in India, about 50% of the population there still burns animal dung, wood scrap, and in some cases coal for everyday heating. Like every day. That's mm -hmm. huge, heavy emissions. And they've got an enormous population compared to us. Mm -hmm. If you really want to reduce global emissions, why not sell them natural gas, which is way cleaner, and they're asking to buy it. Like this is where your, your head starts spinning, is if this is really about global redu reduction in emissions, why don't they just focus on that instead of punishing us for driving to work? Don't get it. Chris, always appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining me here this afternoon. And uh, once you guys start protesting in Victoria, let me know and we'll chat about it. I'm picking out my costume. Thanks, man. <laughs> awesome. Chris Sims right there with the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Always enjoy having her on the program.